Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul the Prophet Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the metaverse. What we do is we cover the most pressing metaverse news and topics of the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this industry. For our regular listeners, thank you guys for tuning in every week. Thank you for leaving a five-star rating and review. I read all of your reviews, guys. I read every feedback you leave on the podcast. We really appreciate it when you show love, when you subscribe, when you leave a review, or even better, just share it with a a colleague, with a friend. Uh, If you love the content, if you love the podcast, sharing it is the absolute best way of showing that love. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm very good. We, uh, we're recording on a special day today, uh, arguably the most <laughs> special day of the year. My birthday. The most. The most. You would, you'd be a little bit biased on this one. But, um, and by the way, I forgot to say last week, congrats on 30 episodes. This is episode 31, but like kind of a small milestone, 30 episodes, pretty big, I think, for a podcast. Yeah, 30 episodes is big. The, the podcast is growing. We're getting a lot more listens. Uh, you just mentioned actually in the pre-show that we're now getting requests for people to come on and be interviewed. So I'd be curious, you know, to the regular listeners, like, let us know if you want us to have people on as guests and interview them. And then also who you'd want. Uh, we, we've had some, some great people uh, write to us and say they want to come on as guests, but it would be great to hear from our listeners, like other people you want us to try to get. Um, if we go down that path, we'd love to hear uh, feedback. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I mean, we've held off because, you know, we've had this format and it's been working and people like it and it's, you know, a bit snappy and and punchy and it's a bit shorter than your usual podcast, maybe. But, uh, you know, there's been, like you said, so much inbound interest, people in the Web3 world, in the metaverse world, in the crypto world, in the NFT world, you name it, all sort of asking to be on the show. And uh, I think we're open to it, right? I think it's all going to depend on the kind of feedback we get from from you guys, from the listeners, and um, if you want to see it or hear it or not. So I, I will say... Uh, NFT world, I, I hear you're now a famous <laughs> NFT uh, subject, if you will. Well, I already was, Jeff, to be clear. <laughs> to be clear. You are. I, 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 we, we minted the world's first esports NFT. Uh, and, and so... Like if you want to be the 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 absolute, if you want to be the collector of all collectors, you know the creme de la creme of collectors, that's the NFT you want to own. Um, having said that, you know I I was supposed to be speaking at NFT NYC this week. I'm not there, obviously, uh, but they minted like ten NFTs for every speaker who's there, and I was surprised to see that. People claimed my NFTs, right? It's just my face, which arguably is maybe the best subject matter for an NFT. But um, it was it was interesting to see. I will say, though, I still believe the, the one to own is the world's first esports NFT. You can go on OpenSea. You can check it out. Hist- it, it was history making. No one had ever done this before in the esports world. And uh, that's the one you want to own if you're a real if you're a real collector. Let's and how much is that going for? these days 
I, I, I'm not sure. I, I actually, I, I feel, I'm, I'm sorry. Like you put me on the spot. I actually, I'm not sure. It's, it's some reasonable amount given the <laughs> historic nature. Well, it's almost the like NFT. you can't put a price on it. So I you can't, you can't, know, it, the price is too low, right? Regardless of what it is. That's yeah. just. We'll that's, put the link in the show notes. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> um, all right, let's get, let's get to news. We got so much to cover this week. Um, and in fact, I want to start with some bored apes. Speaking of NFTs, let's start with, you know, maybe the biggest uh, other, than, other than mine, of course. And, uh, and that is the headline here. Imagination Gaming partners with Bored Ape Community to launch Apeopoly game. So the first ever NFT inspired board game, and I don't know if this is purposeful spelling here, I, I'm guessing it is, obviously, it's in quotes, um, <laughs> will feature 22 board ape caricatures with a chance for players to win exclusive board ape yacht club NFT. So it's a board game, it features board apes, and you can win an NFT. I'm not sure how, but, you know, via, pre-sales they're pre-selling it via apeopoly.com if you're really interested in the this i don't know if it's loosely based on monopoly i'm not sure what the the the, the, the rules of this tabletop game are um but it is a tabletop game it is a board game using board ape characters what do you think of this jeff other than the fantastic well, pun i i love the pun i'm always a sucker for a good pun I, I like that Board Ape is expanding the IP into different areas. Like I think you know the fact that they're they're bringing it onto the board game is interesting. I just don't know how big. Like, what is the overlap between Board Ape fans and that that you know mindset versus people who play board games and, and tabletop Monopoly? Like, I, I suspect that the number of people who are fans <laughs> of Board Ape is not it's not tiny, but it's not huge to begin with. And then the overlap between those people and the people who are really hardcore into Monopoly and like board games has to be very low. So I wonder if they're going to sell this as almost like a collectible thing, because that could make sense. They sell it at a high price. It's almost like collectible because we know that the mindset of, of these NFT collectors and the people who are buying board apes, they're willing to pay up for something they think is scarce in nature and has value or even, even more so like secondary market value. So I can kind of see that, but if they're trying to make this like an actual mass market product where like, you know, your parents or my parents going to walk into a CVS and like want to buy a board game and they buy this instead of Monopoly or Clue or whatever else, I, I'm not, not so bullish on that. Well, it does say, it says that there's a quote here uh, in the article from the president of Imagination Gaming, who's, who they're the partner that they're making the game with. And it says, beyond getting in on the board ape hype, the gameplay allows everyone to learn a little bit about the crypto world, even if you don't fully understand NFT jargon or the cryptocurrency world. I mean, I don't really buy that, right? Like to me, the, the audience for this is really, it's collectors. It probably is not a fun game. There's probably no one in this audience that cares to play a tabletop game for the most part. And I feel like this is just a, another collectible. And let's face it, the people who buy Bored Apes are collectors, right? They're they're paying for collectibles. This is just another collectible to sell them. 100% No, no, I, I think I 100% agree with that. I wouldn't be surprised to see these things selling on, if they make a limited amount, sell, selling on the secondary market for, for big guys. Um, but yeah, yeah, to your point, it's, it's, it's a collectible. 
I mean, they're pre-ordering for fifty dollars, uh, but it doesn't say if it's a limited run or not. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, <laughs> again, it's interesting that it, it's fifty bucks to take a flyer. Or, I bet they. Go, I, mean, I, I bet you could buy it for like two fifty, four hundred, or sell it for that. And I bet that they make a ton of easy money on something like this just because people will buy it for this exact reason to collect it. Now, you know, let's put this story next to another one. And this one you spotted on Twitter, which I love. Um, Let me show the story first and then I'll show the Twitter post. Um, The story here was Christie's Wonderkin, Noah Davis, who sold that $69 million Beeple is leaving the auction house to lead CryptoPunks into the future. Now, for those who don't know, CryptoPunks also owned by Yuga Labs, who owns Board Ape Yacht Club. So same company we're talking about here. And uh, Noah, as part of this new new role, uh, put out a series of tweets, which I'm going to read here. So he says, I'm humbled and honored to announce I'll be leaving my current post in July to steward the CryptoPunks as brand lead under the umbrella of Yuga Labs. Before I say anything else, it's important to confirm what we won't be doing. Simply put, I will not F with the punks. What does that mean? It means no punks on lunchboxes or cringe TV shows slash bad movies. It means no arbitrary rushed utility or thoughtless airdrops. It means if you love your punks because they are what they are, just punks, then you and I see eye to eye. The first thing I will do is this. If you're a punk holder and you care about the legacy future of the brand, I want to talk one-on-one. I'll be at the punks brunch during NFT NYC and we'll begin scheduling sit-downs immediately. Wherever punks go, the community will help guide us. Now, he says a bunch of other things, but that was the gist of of this. What what do you think of his comments, Jeff? Especially compared to the last story where we saw Yuga Labs, again, the company he's just joined, is call it selling out in the way he says he's never going to do with the Bored Apes IP. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure I understand this. When you own an IP, you know, one of the ways to monetize it is through these various different channels, you know, board games, movies, like it's the, this is the Disney strategy, right? They, they, yeah. they literally coined that, right? You have an IP. Merchandising. You, Exactly. That's the perfect word, merchandising. You know, you put it in the store, you make a stuffed animal, you make a ride, a theme park. And for a long time, I feel like we were hearing that these crypto brands were becoming IPs, and then they were going to do that exact merchandising strategy. There was going to be a video game. There was going to be a movie. And if you own the, the, the ape, you would be able to use your ape in those things, and you would get, merch, you would get, re- uh, you would get revenue shares from them which to some extent made a little bit of sense if you assume that these things actually are IPs. Not sure how much I buy into that. I think the top couple are fairly well known amongst people like us who are in this world, but I don't think they're, you know, it's not Mickey Mouse, let's, let's put it that way. Uh, so I'm a bit surprised that, you know, he feels that this is what the community wants and that there's this backlash to using their, the, what is an IP as actually an IP to make revenue. So I'm surprised. It's one thing to be thoughtful. Like I understand if his point of was like, look, we're just not going to be crazy about it and make it just completely in your face and try to monetize something. I, I can I can get behind that. Like being being careful with using the IP. I think anyone who owns a valuable IP would agree that that's prudent. But to completely be dismissive of it is just a bit 
a bit odd to me. And it kind of, maybe it speaks a little bit to who's buying these things, just like sort of a vanity project. They don't even care about getting revenue stream, like a revenue stream or like making returns. It's just like a, it's, a, it's really just like a show me good that people buy. Yeah, I mean, I take serious issue with the word wonderkind in that title, right? Like, the guy, I don't know the guy, maybe he's <laughs> a genius in other ways, but if, you're, if your only point of reference is he sold the Beeple for 69 million bucks, I mean, this is a piece of art that was sold at peak hype, right, to, to some moron who, like, thinks this is going to be worth 10 times this in the future. Um, like, it's just, it's pure luck right like it was right place right time so give him credit for that but like this is not a strategy this is not a business model this is not he has no plan to actually build a business here all he's saying is i'm going to do nothing and hope the value of these things increases which maybe a year ago that was the strategy in you know june almost july 2022 I think this is uh, this is lunacy, right? Like this just does not work anymore. That we're we're past the point. We have to be past the point of this greater fool theory. Which, by the way, Bill Gates, you know, uh, said the same thing that I've been saying for the last year or two now. Um, that you know, we have to get past this, and there has to be a real business, and there can be. We just talked about apopoly. Like mm-hmm. it's silly, but people will probably buy that. And, you know, the merchandising thing was an old Spaceballs Mel Brooks reference, but it works. Disney has shown it can work. Yeah. Right. And 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 you're right. Maybe we're reading too much into his words. Maybe he means he's only going to do quality partnerships and IP extensions. But I don't think that's what he means here. Like, I think this really is like, I'm going to do nothing. We're just going to it's all about the punks and we're going to see this. You know, we're going to ride this to the moon kind of mentality that um, has got a lot of people in trouble and I think has destroyed a lot of value over the last two or three months um, and instead should be embracing sort of how do we, how do we extend this IP, this brand to a hundred different things and maintain the quality. Show me that strategy, right? How do we make great things with the crypto punks IP as opposed to taking this weird uh, stand? Got to respect the chutzpah though, to start a new job and say, Hey, look, I'm not going to do anything. One-on-one meetings. One-on-one <laughs> meetings. meetings at NFT NYC. Other than yeah. that, I'm not going to do anything. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's weird. Uh, and it, it's, uh, this is going to backfire. It's also interesting they hired a guy whose background is, you know, he, was, he built a digital auction show. Like maybe that should show in and of itself, like where where their Yuga Labs' mind is in terms of this whole strategy. Like, why not hire someone, a product lead at Disney or someone who's built an, you know, like, um, someone who like, built the Marvel Cinematic Universe strategy yeah. and, and like a brand expert, licensing expert, like someone like that. It's like, no, you hired a guy who ran an, an online auction house. Like, what does that have to do with building like an IP brand? Well, this is why I think this comes to a head, right? It has to, because you've got board apes on one side, merchandising, monetizing, doing brand extensions. I think we, we talked about a TV show or like a few episodes ago, now this apopoly. And then on the other side, you've got crypto punks and this guy who, you know, this is like, this is religion. This is not business. And, uh, you know, uh, it's all about the brand and, 
okay, that's good. But like, if you do nothing with it and you don't sell anything around it, it's no, there's no business there. And I think those two cultures, those two viewpoints have to clash at some point. And we will, I think, I think you will see someone get ejected or people get ejected as a consequence. Like, I don't think you can maintain two radically different strategies within the same company forever. Um, so it'll be see which one it'll be interesting to see which one wins out. I suspect investors are going to want to see the broader merchandising, not rely on well, some. Yes, the the greater fool. Let's hope the the apes we bought keeps going up works in a bull market, and the people who own the apes are like, well, I'm only going to own this for a little bit. I don't care. I'm just watching it go up. I'm watching secondary market prices go up. I'm getting rich. You know, don't worry about doing anything. Like, don't ruin the brand. We have a great thing going. As soon as that reverses, and I suspect it has, I, I haven't looked at the prices, secondary market prices of these things, but I'm sure they're down, you know, 50% plus. As soon as that happens, you start having the bag holders who own these things start saying, okay, well, I bought this for a million dollars. It's now apparently worth 200 grand. Get me some utility for it. Put it in a movie. Yeah. Get me some dividend checks. Get me some revenue. Like, let's make this a thing. So I suspect yeah. you're right. It, this this conversation is going to turn around very quickly. Um, it's interesting. It's a, it's a, an interesting, one of those very interesting ones to follow to see how it plays out. Um, let's talk about uh, two stories from the maybe the, the biggest personality of all in the metaverse space, and that's uh, Mark Zuckerberg himself here. And two stories coming out of Meta this week. Let me start with this one, uh, Jeff. The headline here, Mark Zuckerberg envisions a billion people in the metaverse spending hundreds of dollars each. So he told CNBC's Jim Cramer that Meta Platforms is in a position to spend extensively on long-term research and that the metaverse will usher in a massive economy. Um, he thinks they're going to get a billion people doing hundreds of dollars of commerce. And this is a quote from Mark, each buying digital goods, digital content, different things to express themselves. So whether that's clothing for their avatar or different digital goods for their virtual home or things to decorate their virtual conference room, utilities to be able to be more productive in virtual and augmented reality and across the metaverse overall. Um, that, you know, let me just put that next to, let me put the two stories together here because I think both are interesting back to back here. The other one is Zuckerberg details this plan to move your digital items across the metaverse. So what happened is they've rebranded Facebook pay has become meta pay, but the idea is to make it a wallet for the metaverse so that, you can manage your identity, your items, your payment methods, all within Meta and the Metaverse. Um, so, you know, a, a sort of wallet and payment solution slash standard for the Metaverse. Um, what do you make of Zuckerberg's uh, prediction here? The billion people, the hundreds of dollars, the things they're going to do. I mean, I know it's a, sort of a big, big it's topic, funny. Jeff. But you know, if he had said this a year ago, I think people would have probably been surprised. But at this point, like I read that headline and was, it was like, okay, or, uh, is that surprise? Like, I don't know if anyone's at this point surprised that that's their goal or that we expect that that will happen, right? Like the question really then becomes, well, how long will it take? But I don't think either of us are, would be surprised at all if we're in the future five, seven years from now, and there's a billion people who are interacting with the metaverse on a daily basis and, you know, spending hundreds of dollars. I think that's even very conservative. Like, I think once you get the people in the metaverse, they're going to be spending way more than that. They'll be spending whatever they would normally spend in the real world, basically in the metaverse. 
So I don't think that's surprising at all. The piece that was interesting was, uh, you know, in the article, they talked a bit about the Oculus uh, headsets and they, they talked a little bit about how the, the shipments have been a, a bit disappointing after like the holiday season. I think they said um, shipments of headsets have failed to outnumber shipments of PCs or smartphones. It's like not shocking, but I do think that's, that's the area where I feel like Meta is going to have the biggest struggle where they've really tethered their whole plan to the Quest and to VR which I think is, is ultimately potentially going to be their downfall, as well as the fact that I just think the Meta's brand, Meta and Facebook's brand is so bad right now amongst consumers. Like, I just don't know if you're going to get the kind of adoption, even if they build the best technical Metaverse, which they honestly probably, end up will, probably will end up doing just because they're investing so much. I don't know if they're ever going to get the adoption just because I feel like they have such a bad brand image currently. Do you think that's something that matters? Or do you think it's if they build the best product, it won't matter. People will just get over it and use it? Or do you think yeah, it's I think that, actually been tarnished? You know, Jeff, I actually think I, my view on Oculus relative to Facebook and Meta is totally different on this one. And that is because I actually think Oculus is is the greatest moat possible. Hardware is really hard, right? It takes a lot of years, takes a lot of development and research. It takes a lot of money. And I believe Oculus, uh, Meta with Oculus, has at least a few year has start. Like, I don't think anyone's even remotely close. You could say maybe Valve with the index. But for the most part, Oculus is way ahead, lower cost hardware, uh, better technology, more portable, all these good things, right? And I think this is their mode because if we believe Oculus is going to be the on-ramp for the metaverse and VR is going to be the on-ramp for the metaverse. Oculus puts meta in a, an incredibly good position. It's a huge competitive advantage, et cetera. Right. Um, I think Oculus actually will probably go down in history as maybe one of the best investments in meta slash Facebook's history. They paid a billion dollars for Oculus. And if we believe there's going to be a billion people in the metaverse. If you believe Mark Zuckerberg's number here, right? You're talking about a business not going to be worth a billion dollars. You're talking about a business in just in Oculus that's going to be worth a trillion dollars. You're talking about, you know, an install base the size of Apple iPhones, right? <laughs> Probably a two or three trillion dollar business. And so um, I really do think Oculus is the feather in the cap for Meta. I think it's their big competitive advantage. And I also think it, to your, to, again, to where I disagree with the point you made, and I understand the concern. There's this reputation concern with Facebook, right? But Oculus softens that a bit, right? The kid who gets an Oculus for Christmas, he plays with it. He's playing Star Wars. He doesn't know that it's Facebook. He doesn't care that it's Facebook, right? It, it creates a new perception of the brand and a new face for the brand. And I think this is a good thing for them, but it's a good point, right? There is this reputational risk with Facebook. Um, the question becomes that billion user number, right? Does that, is that plausible? Is that reasonable? Um, you've got, you know, how many Facebook users? Maybe 2 billion, two, 3 billion, two billion right? So you got to think one out of every two, or one out of every three Facebook user transitions to the metaverse. Yeah, when you put it that way, it's a high. It's a, a little bit of a high bar. So 
but yeah, over the over the course of time, I definitely believe you know we're super bullish that they they will hit that. Not well. Let me just take a step back. The metaverse will hit that number. Will it be Facebook? Uh, that I'm, I guess I'm maybe not as convinced um, as you are, but I think your your points are valid in terms of the brand softening. I do think that if you buy an Oculus, you're probably not thinking about it as a Facebook product. Um, yeah. You know, if you're if you're a teenager in your early 20s, you, you probably don't even know what Facebook is. You probably don't think of Instagram as a Facebook product either. So that's a that's a fair, those are fair points. And hardware is hard. So to the extent that they are the best currently at VR hardware, that is a massive advantage that I, I guess I probably was maybe underrated. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about another potential advantage here. And I think this story's uh, an interesting one and talks about Meta again. The headline here is Meta and Microsoft team up to create metaverse standards. Apple and Google sit out. The group believes open standards will help realize the so-called metaverse. So uh, a bunch of companies are forming what they're calling the metaverse standards forum. Meta is a founding member. Uh, big tech names like Adobe, Microsoft, NVIDIA, also founding members, uh, but Apple and Google are not participating. Now, the forum, it says, is meant to foster the development of open standards for the metaverse. Uh, they will explore where the lack of interoperability is holding back metaverse deployment and how the work of standards developing organizations defining and evolving need needed standards may be coordinated and accelerated. Uh, you have Adobe, Epic, Ikea, Qualcomm, Sony, like a bunch of big names at all part of this forum. Uh, I'm curious, two things. What do you think of all these companies getting together to create some standards or at least trying to find some standards, Jeff? And maybe more interesting, what do you think of Apple and Google sitting out? So that was going to sort of be my take. I definitely, on the standards part, I want to hear your opinion because this is something you pounded the drum on for a while, even from really like episode one on, it's been all about comparing the metaverse to the internet and how the internet has, you know, created standards and that that's really what, what these kind of open, open standards and that's how the internet evolved. Uh, so I definitely want to hear your take on that. What I thought was the most interesting part was who was not involved, as you mentioned. And it's funny that it's actually the platforms that are the biggest on mobile and also the ones that are charging these exorbitant kind of take rates. So I just wonder if there's some, you know, if that plays into the reason why they're not jumping into these open standards and, and non-closed guard, you know, walled garden approach of this, this metaverse that the others that maybe have a little bit less turf to defend are, are, are kind of jumping into, um, you know, with open arms. So may, maybe they're saying, okay, let's take a step back. We have a pretty good thing on mobile here, you know, with these app stores taking 30% cut and no interoperability. Like, why don't we just take a, take a breather before we jump into the metaverse. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you know what I love about this story? Cause we didn't discuss this pre-show that I knew you were going to have a totally different take on the why Apple and Google <laughs> sit out. Like I, there's probably like four or five different reasons we could come up with. Right. Uh, and I think that's an interesting one. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they want to protect their walled gardens here. Um, and any kind of open standards may be bad for business in their mind. Um, uh, to the standards point, yes, I've been beating the drum about it. Uh, I think it's really just a question of once you've seen enough tech life cycles, like a different, uh, different technology metas, if you want to call them, come and go, um, the patterns are always the same, right? And, and new groundbreaking technologies, revolutionary technologies, Standards, 
I think you have to, it was inevitable that it had to get there for everyone to succeed for the vision of a true capital M metaverse to be realized. So I applaud this. I think this had to happen. I'm happy it's happening. Uh, I think I called it that Meta was going to be leading the way on this. And um, I think we will see great things from this group of companies in terms of laying the groundwork for what will eventually be the capital M metaverse. Well, so my tinfoil hat theory came from like my own perspective, which is, I believe the metaverse gets built I, I, or evolves not necessarily from a game, but from gaming culture, gaming minds, gaming themes, right? Like the metaverse truly is just a superset of gaming or maybe even a subset of gaming, if you want to call it that, right? Like gaming and the metaverse are intimately linked in my mind and cannot be separated. And the two companies that sat out, in my mind, are the two big tech companies today that just don't get gaming. They don't get it, right? Google has tried and failed miserably. Apple, I mean, you could argue they've sort of tried, but definitely not, not, um, not like in, in sort of in mm. line with their resources and their capabilities, right? They could be doing way more. And I think it's two companies that don't have gaming cultures within them. Like with like, if you look at it, it's, it's just not their bread and butter and it's not an area they understand. And so I'm not surprised that they probably won't really understand the metaverse either. I think it just follows that they won't and they will be laggards in that metaverse discussion. Now, could they catch up? Sure. Right. Like Apple's, rumored goggles could be groundbreaking and everyone wants them, but I'm very skeptical because I don't think they understand gaming, either one of them all that well. And this is why they sit out. That's my, that's my tinfoil hat theory. That's fair. I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, 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 like I said, I really hope, I really hope it pans out to them building something, you know, really cool. Uh, on top of whatever standards they create here. Let's, uh, let's finish on one last article here, Jeff. And that is, this is cool. We talked about hardware in, in the context of Oculus. Here's another piece of hardware. And this is Solana Labs building a Web3 mobile phone. So the backers of the Solana blockchain said the devices will cost around $1,000, be available for delivery in early 2023. Uh, the phone's going to be called Saga. It's an Android handset. Um, it's a modified Osom handset. I don't know that the that that OD, they're probably an ODM, I guess, with specialty crypto wallet functions and the Solana mobile stack software development kit for Web three programs. Uh, Cost a thousand dollars, like I said, be available early twenty twenty three. It's their biggest bet yet on mobile focused growth. It's going to feature a Web3 decentralized app store, integrated Solana Pay for on-chain payments, a mobile wallet adapter, like all about mobile and crypto mobile and mobile Web3 games, uh, I guess, is the vision here, all in sort of one handset you could buy. Now, I'm not sure if this is more for developers or more for end users, 
But what do you think, Jeff, of the the Solana mobile phone here, Saga? The first thing I literally thought was this: this is this is Google Stadia for for phones, and it was like it's a problem solution. It's a tech solution in search of a problem. Like maybe it's a little facetious because I do think the mobile, the current mobile ecosystem is really not optimized for like crypto gaming stuff like that. Just because of the wall of gardens that Apple and Google have, kind of like what we just talked about. You can't do payment. You can't really do crypto payments on those app stores. Um, but I would have rather someone come up with a software solution within that ecosystem that made it less clunky than the current version, but didn't include having to buy a whole new phone. I just do not fundamentally believe there's enough people out there that you're going to get enough adoption that this is going to get critical mass. Like I just don't believe they're going to create a good enough product from a hardware. Uh, device standpoint, and then also an application standpoint, you will have, I'm sure, a bunch of crypto developers developing apps for this. But I just, I don't know, I find it hard to believe that you're going to, you're going to see a, a massive adoption from a developer perspective of this phone because I just don't think you'll see enough people buying it in a while. Um, so I'm not super bullish on it, but I, I do think it's an interesting one to, to actually follow. It, it's not something that I had expected, honestly, from from. Uh, what do you think? Look, it, I, I, I'm going to call it something, but I think crypto companies, for better or for worse, because you could say it's a, it's a good thing. It's a, it can also be a bad thing. In this case, I think it's a bad thing where because everything has been raw, raw crypto for the last two years or three years, like, and, you know, everything's up and to the right and and everyone's gotten massively wealthy and there's billions being thrown at this like that you tend to develop a bit of a God complex, right? And you start to just assume you can do everything, right? And, and, and we've talked about this before, like every, every blockchain-based game pitch deck that I see is like, oh, this is our token, this is thing. And by the way, we're going to make a great game. And then this is like, like, okay, but you just assume like the really hardest part. And like assuming you can make a phone, which is a piece of hardware, which is really hard. And it's, this is not going to be a great phone, right? It's some probably some Chinese ODM. I don't know this company that it's just going to be a you know, plastic and or glass slab. That's no different than any other phone. And to your point, you don't, if you don't reach critical mass, what is the point of this whole exercise other than wasting zillions of dollars developing your own phone when you're right. And I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you here, that all that d- development effort should have been on how do we crack the existing platforms and leverage the existing distribution and make, you know, grandma's iPhone good enough to use to do all the things that this Solana phone can do. That's the bigger prize. And so I don't know why you go after this small prize that's exceedingly difficult unless you make the assumption that it's not that hard. Right. right? And that's a wrong assumption. I think it's, a, it's an assumption that comes from a God complex. I think it's just a, also like a misunderstanding of the ecosystem. Like I don't think there's that many consumers that are yearning so much to use crypto technology that they're going to buy a whole phone to be able to do it. The, the benefit yeah. of crypto there technology is a will there's come. A small there's group. a subset. There's a very small group. But the benefit of yeah. crypto technology is when it's all happening in the background. So if there ever got to a point where the use case was so great that there was enough consumers that really yearn for this, that they were willing to go switch their smartphone, which is an absolute pain in the neck that nobody wants to do. 
You know what Apple and Google are going to do? They're going to say, oh, guess what? With Apple Pay, you can now use crypto. And then you're dead. Your phone is dead the second they decide to do that. So as soon as you find the killer app, they're just going to come and steal everything. They're like, oh, we're losing a little bit of market share. Guess what? We now enabled crypto payments. Boom. Every, you're gone. Your install base is dead. Like, what's well, the point? It's so insightful. And I think so funny you say that because I read an article just the other day that every time Apple does like their their core, like their twice a year, you know, like where they show off the new hardware, like at their worldwide developer conference, they show off new features in their operating systems. That I, I read this article that said every worldwide developer conference, when they announce a feature, a thousand startups <laughs> go out of business. <laughs> like, <That's not. laughs> sure. <laughs> and then you're right. It's just if, if they do figure out some killer app for this that everyone wants, well, you already have how many billion iPhones like out in the world? You just add it as a feature in the next version of iOS. And I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the point, though. Maybe they want to spur Google and Apple to do something. Maybe. But that's an expensive. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like that's an expensive way of doing it. So. Um, Look, that was this was a fun episode. Um, that is the end, though. I will say, um, don't forget, guys, uh, this podcast drops every single week. So share it with a friend, share it with a colleague, tell everyone about it. Go check out our brother slash sister podcast, if you want to call it Meta Woman, and also Business of Esports, if you're not subscribed to those. Uh, Jeff's on Business of Esports also. And so if you love the juice, you can't get enough of the juice at Jeff Cohen 23. Go subscribe to Business of Esports as well if you found this here. Um, but we really appreciate you guys tuning in every week. Go leave that review. Share it with a friend. Don't forget, the future is fun. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.